1: Welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast,
0: I'm Rick Henderson. It's an exciting lineup this week as we chat to the Vice President of Amazon's Entertainment Devices and Services Division. We'll also be reviewing the Google Pixel 6a mid-range smartphone to find out if it can still deliver the goods even at a lower price point. But first, Pocket Lint's editor Chris Hall joins me now to talk about the Mini Concept Aceman, an all-electric car that retains Mini's traditional styling but layers on tech like few other cars before it. Chris, you travelled to Dusseldorf in Germany for the unveiling of the car. What was your first impression?
2: Well, my first impression was that MINI really do want to take us back to the 1960s, not in some sort of um, primeval kind of way, but in the style and the pitch for this car. It's very much about being cool. It's very much about that swinging 60s vibe. And in the the Aceman, they're really trying to capture some of the spirit of the original Mini that came out of that sort of era. So yeah, that, that really was my first impression. I mean, there's the the, the normal scattering of, of Union Jacks and things, which, which Mini are now saying that's not really anything to do with being British. It's just a really easily identifiable set of shapes that people now recognize. But um, yeah, it's still quite Union Jacky.
0: Yeah, I noticed that. You, um, If you go on pocketlint.com, you'll see some of the excellent photos that Chris took while he was over there. And one, the main one that struck me was the Union Jack on the front. However, that can change, can't it?
2: Yeah, it can. And this is something that really, I think, is just for the concept car. They have a, a system on this where you can change the graphics that will show across the car. They can ripple and they can uh, do all sorts of fancy things. But my belief is that none of this stuff will actually make it onto the production model. This is just to show off some of that fancy technology that could come at some point in the future, although it's worth noting, they have patterns changing in the headlights, and as far as I know, that is never, ever, ever, ever going to be legal. But there is something to be said for the rear lights, because for a long time many have had the Union Jack as a as an option on their cars for the for the tail lights. And on this model they're showing off a digital system the suggestion here is that they could potentially bring this car to market with the option to have a regular tail light or the pattern tail light and you could be able to change that not whilst driving obviously but you could change that to different styles just you know to make it a little bit more fun and whimsical
0: I mean, it's not it's not completely unusual to imagine because uh, some car manufacturers already use OLED panels for their rear rear tail lights, don't they?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, and there's an actually there's a link here to something we've been talking about over the last week, which was BMW putting subscriptions in place for a whole load of functions on their car, like uh, heated seats. That's the one that's really caught people's imagination. And I I'm going to put my hat in the ring now and say that the changing the pattern of the rear lights on a mini in the future will become a subscription option i've just it hasn't been confirmed no one's suggested it's going to happen but i can 100 percent see that that would be the way that they would do it that really does make
0: sense downloadable tail lights
2: yeah and then and then i mean the good thing about that is you could wipe that out if you don't want it the next person to buy the car could say oh actually i want the union jack pattern on the back go on to uh uh, Mini's website go in the into their portal and say put these on my car and then it changes. You pay your nine pounds ninety nine or whatever and Bob's your uncle.
0: Um, the other thing is uh, that I noticed was that that kind of customization effect transfers into the interior as well.
2: Yeah. Now the interior of this car, I think, is closer to what we. I, well, I think it is quite close to what we may see on the final model. There are some elements of it. That make a lot of sense, so in the center of the car, you just have a big round display, and underneath it is a, is a very minimalized set of switches. now that happens to be the exact layout of the original mini, so it makes sense to do that but beyond that, there are a couple of really interesting things firstly, because it's a, an electric car, you don't have to have so much stuff under the body you know the battery is in, in the floor of the car, you get a lot of interior space. And they're suggesting that you could have a customizable center console, so that bit that goes between the chairs has different modules in it, and you could move that around, so that you can move parts into it or take parts out of it, reposition things along it, along it. So your wireless phone charging pads, the position of your cup holders, little things like that. So you could potentially customize the interior. It doesn't it seems to me quite realistic and it's quite a polished system. So I think that we might see something like that in the future. But there's one piece of technology in here, which is really interesting and I don't quite think we're there yet. And that is that Mini was showing off a projector, an interior projector. And the idea of this was to expand beyond the display that you have in the centre of the car to be able to convey information across the whole of the dash. And the example they showed included mapping. So you've got your proper directions on the display but then you can have more of the map spread across in front of you and it's a really interesting idea i mean in driving terms that may be impractical and it might be that something like this is better suited to ambient lighting and that sort of thing just changing the color tone having greetings messages and stuff like that rather than actual driving functions um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting idea. And one of the advantages that it has is that your dashboard can be much simpler. You don't have to have any electronics in it because you're projecting all of that information and decoration onto it. Um, and so, this is a an all electric car. This is an all electric car. It's designed to only be electric, so there'll never be a combustion version. And this model the Aceman. They're calling it the concept Aceman, but it will come to market as the Mini Aceman. And it slots in between the current models, the hatch and the Countryman. And so it's a kind of mid-sized Mini. It's still quite quite small, but it's it's going to sit in the middle of the models they already have there. And yeah, it's hundred so percent 100%, 100% electric. And this is sort of Mini on their path to being completely electric by 2030.
0: And it's got a slightly bigger back end, but not quite the Countryman.
2: No, not quite. I mean, some of what we're looking at here is concept car stuff. And the, I actually sat down with the designer and he confirmed that the production model would be slightly smaller, slightly narrower, especially, because one of the things they do in concept cars is they inflate it slightly so they can show off the design a little better. And then they sort of tone it down slightly when it comes to production. So that's probably what we'll see with the Aceman.
0: Later in the show, Chris returns to give us his lowdown on the Pixel 6a, having tested it thoroughly in recent days.
2: There is a lot that, that relates to the bigger phones that you get in the smaller model.
0: Now, though, we turn our attention to Amazon and its entertainment devices, namely the Amazon Fire TV and Luna cloud gaming platform. Former host of the podcast and founder of Pocket Lynch Stuart Miles, caught up with the company's vice president of entertainment devices and services, Daniel Rausch, to find out why Fire TV is no longer considered a simple video streaming device and why it's seen by Amazon as an integral part of its smart home picture. He started by asking Daniel what surprised him most since he took the position around a year ago.
1: Well, I think, um, you know, I've watched the... Entertainment devices and services group grow uh, alongside it. Uh, I was working on Alexa and the smart home business uh, just before. Um, I think, in part, um, just getting to know it better at scale and its success, its degree of success has been truly impressive. You know, last year we announced we sold over 150 million Fire TV devices to date, for example. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been in the UK and elsewhere for eight years uh, as a lineup of products. And so you know i think its success with customers has been truly profound and just getting a deeper understanding of what customers love about the products and also i think you know for me personally coming over with this smart home experience and and the work we've done on alexa seeing how much customers appreciate that deep alexa integration are actually taking advantage of it in ways that start with content but um, really extend into smart home use cases that i was working on you know in the alexa space so you know using your fire tv to Stop your content and check quickly on the front doorbell. Yeah. You know, it's something I've done at home and have appreciated uh, in in my world as a as an Alexa smart home leader. But to see it on Fire TV and to see a customers taking advantage of that is great.
3: I mean, it was a question I had for later, but we might as well do it now. It's it's this sense of you know you've as you've said you've you've come from the smart home you know effectively the smart home division within within Amazon Amazon Alexa and, and the devices that go with that. Is that a sign that Amazon's plans are to embed the Fire TV experience more into kind of like a controlling device for that and to become, you know, the key component within the home?
1: I don't, I don't, I wouldn't think of it as sort of an Amazon strategy per se. I do think that it's, it's definitely us observing uh, from customers that they do want their TVs to be smarter and that they think about them as part of an overall smart home story in their lives. I think, you know, we've all bought smart TVs at this point. It's over 90% of TVs sold, I believe, in the UK are are smart TVs at this point, but they're in fact not all that smart. Um, We we actually see that uh, in Fire TV, a customer's purchase intention for Fire TV, uh, if they already own a smart TV, is actually double if they own a non-smart TV, meaning that customers buy a smart TV, and they want to essentially upgrade the experience. The TV right. is just not smart enough for them. So I think it's, not, you know, it's more an indication of us following customers into the world where they want more out of their TV, whether that's you know, the simplicity of voice control for their content or things like a deeper smart home integration using the smart home control panel on the Fire TV interface or the voice integration uh, to, to control the world around them.
3: And so how do you go about educating people that their smart TV needs to be smarter? And, you know, because we've got so used to this kind of, oh, it's a smart TV. In theory, that means it can run apps. And now you're, in, now you're kind of, you're alluding to walking into a, a world where actually you want the TV to do more than apps. You want it to be able to, to connect to devices. You want it to be able to talk to it. You want to be able to do other things. So how do you go about educating that smart needs to be smarter?
1: Well, i think the first aspect really starts with the content right when we think of our tvs in our living room we we just want a very smart content experience i i think in passing there you talked about you know doing the apps so to speak which is where customers start but you know at this point if we think about all of our different content sources it's really added up um you know customers are adding more and more subscriptions they're accessing more and more free ad supported content through streaming and of course You know, here in the UK, there's a long tradition of public service broadcasting that's now integrated into streaming. And so when you think about all those content sources, it's actually really inconvenient to go in and out of each of them. You know, these heterogeneous Mm -hmm. applications trying to find what you're looking for. So the first thing I think that that uh, is smarter about Fire TV is the content forward user experience. We try to bring the content out of those applications, working with our partners, put it right in the Fire TV interface so that you can go to what you were recently watching. You can just find the next episode of a serial, or you can be delighted you know, in a next up for you row to discover some new, some new movie uh, based, on, based on what you've watched and some, some great recommendations. So I think first and foremost, since we think about our living rooms and our TVs as, an, as entertainment centers, uh, the the content experience just needs to be smarter. You know, and then we see customers move on to things like voice control for that content. This past weekend, I went to go see the new Top Gun movie, and my children are not old enough to have seen the first one. So I picked up the remote and said right. oh, Top Gun, and we were off and running uh, with a single voice utterance. so we see customers adopting things like the simplicity of voice with content. And then once you realize that's all possible, we see customers moving on to other smart home uh, conveniences as well, things like that doorbell camera or a routine like start movie night in my home lowers the blinds and and adjusts the lighting and we're off and running so I think that's sort of the journey that we see customers are on once they realize that all of that is possible with their TV experience um, they're really they're really thrilled
3: now one of the things that we've all been experiencing over the last couple of years with various global lockdowns around the world is the ability to watch more TV how how much do you think the pandemic has changed? our viewing habits, and do you think now that we're, in theory, coming out of, of that, that they're going to stay the same or they're going to change again?
1: It's a great question.
3: Um, you know, we saw both
1: viewing go up because customers wanted the convenience of, of watching in their homes, uh, and that's the usual suspects, right? You would expect mm. more serial content, more movies, but, of course, we all also suddenly needed to get so much more from our homes. Our, our living rooms became our gym. It became our school for our children, uh, and so we saw, you know, we saw workout content more than triple in terms of time spent by customers. We saw education content more than triple. We saw customers learning to cook. We all went through the the phase of trying to figure out how to do a sourdough starter. So right. we saw we saw all of that happen uh, on Fire TV as well, and then and then we didn't see that abate. So customers are definitely accessing more broad categories of content. And of course, there was the secular trend beforehand only quickened by the pandemic that customers were using more content sources. So, you know, we're sort of now in a phase where it's even more important for us to to bring customers that content forward experience so that they can navigate all that different sets of choices.
3: And how much of a challenge is that? Because there still seems to be major uh, streaming services launching. Uh, You know, Paramount Plus in the UK only launched in June. You know, I'm sure there's other plans for you know for other services. How difficult is that for you to add that to the experience, and how important is that for you to add that to the experience? Well,
1: it's very important. I think you know, having a complete set of content that customers want uh, is critical for for really any any streaming option, and it's it's top of the list for Fire TV for sure. We're thrilled to add Paramount Plus here at launch and add the 8,000 hours of content uh, that Paramount Plus is bringing to customers here in the UK. Um, but I think you know how hard is it it's 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 not all that hard for us we We work at long lead time with partners. Uh, we have you know sophisticated developer tools that make it simple and straightforward for for developers to integrate with fire t v and also to integrate you know with options like our complete catalog for search, voice options right so you can use that same simplicity of voice works across you know. Partners like Netflix and Prime Video and BBC here in the UK. Uh, so making all of that integration options simple and available to partners is also critical for us.
3: Now you talked there, you know, previously about this this sort of thing that you're seeing, this trend that you're seeing where, you know, it's not just about watching movies and TV shows; it's about doing exercise and things like that. One of the the big sort of rising uh, trends at the moment is obviously gaming with, say, Microsoft's uh, cloud gaming service. You've obviously got Luna from uh, Amazon as well. Are we likely to see those services supported on the Fire Stick and Fire TV going forward?
1: Well, we we do have uh, Luna up and running in the us at this point it's a very popular option for customers to add luna to fire tv or to any screen in their home you can you can basically game anywhere Hmm. with luna game streaming uh customers love the channel options as well they don't have to pay for one big holistic subscription they could choose for example i'm i love the retro channel it brings back classic arcade games and street fighter and these games from my own youth uh, so that's one I'm very committed to, um, and I, I can choose different channel options. You know, when we see some, something working for customers, we love to bring it uh, everywhere. But but there's nothing to nothing to reveal today about Luna's Luna's plans globally. I do think, as a trend, though, you're asking about streaming. You know, streaming is has um, I think changed the distribution of many different media types and it, in very customer friendly ways. You know, I, I cannot imagine going back to a world where I have to sort through CDs to to find the music content that I want. For example, I just open Amazon Music and I'm off and running uh, and I can you know, literally not name a title that I couldn't access on that service. And of course, the same has happened with video now. And, and I think as cloud computing has gotten more and more available and powerful, um, you know, it's going to change the way we game. And customers shouldn't have to invest thousands, hundreds, or thousands of dollars in a gaming setup for their home. Shouldn't have to do big, heavy downloads. Shouldn't have to wait to play a game.
3: And uh, and I think cloud streaming is going to change that. And and one of the more recent announcements that you've you've made is is with Xiaomi and moving and kind of following the Roku model of of moving into TVs from from the outset. Uh, how's that How's that gone so far? And and is there anything you share on that on that side
1: it's really it's really important for us with fire tv to have a full range of products for customers so you know that starts with a 29 pound stick uh, and you know customers can conveniently add that to any tv whether it's you know so-called smart already or not uh, of course a whole lineup of 4k products our fire tv cube with Farfield field voice uh, and then yes now into you know an increasingly large set of partners that are using fire tv os to power their tvs Within the last few weeks here in the UK and also in continental Europe, Xiaomi uh, announced that Fire TV OS is going to power a new lineup of televisions. Um, You know, it's one of the world's fastest growing consumer electronics companies, and they really appreciate, I think, that Fire TV uh, experience for customers, the content forward UI, the voice integration uh, and other features. So, you know, you'll continue to hear more from us about uh, having Fire TV OS Power TVs themselves. I was going
3: to say, do you see that as an exclusive or do you see that as just the first step of many?
1: Oh, it's the first step of many for sure. I think, you know, as we've made that option available to other manufacturers, they're adopting it as well. So we had Hisense, for example, another large global scale TV manufacturer announced with us in the US. Uh, Here in the UK, you know, we have JVC and Bush lines of TVs already as well. And you'll just continue to hear more and more from us. We're actually now integrated into over a hundred different TV models globally.
3: Finally, the final question I have is, is obviously we've, we focused the last 12 minutes or so on, on talking about fire TV in the home, but with your announcement, with your collaboration with BMW, you obviously see that it's not just going to be restricted to the home. Do you, do you see the benefits there of bringing everything to the car? And, and is there any, any challenges that you have to solve in doing that?
1: Well, I think, you know, customers want to be entertained in so many different places, right? So the, you know, the idea that customers could be entertained in the car, of course, uh, as as self-driving cars come, every every passenger in the car will be able to be entertained. But um, I think powering the in-car entertainment system uh, is definitely a priority for us. BMW's announcement about its new 31-inch 8K screen in the rear seat uh powered by fire TV is awesome. It's a, you, you have to check it out if you get a chance, mm-hmm. beautiful experience. Uh, uh, you know, one of the ways of upgrading your living room TV would be to just put a BMW in your living room. It's, it's really that stunning. <laughs> in a um, but you know, we're also in Stellantis vehicles. We're going to power that experience, uh, uh, globally Ford has done integration. So you'll see fire TV more and more in those in-car entertainment systems uh, because now we're building a specific product for auto manufacturers and and we're, we're off and going.
0: And now for our weekly review, Chris returns to give us the ins and outs of the Google Pixel 6a. So you've been using it for a while, Chris. How does it compare with a standard Google 6?
2: Well, actually, it's very, very close in the experience. There's a lot in the design that's the same. They've used exactly the same design language. And because this is a basically a pure Android phone, the user interface and in that experience is the same. And th- and this is the big part of the news really around the Pixel 6a, is that it uses the same Google Tensor chip as the larger and more expensive model. So it has pretty much the same amount of power. So that means that when you fire up your games or multitasking, you're getting the same experience. So there is a lot that, that relates to the bigger phones that you get in the smaller model.
0: But what is
2: missing, say? there has been a change to the cameras well not a change the cameras that you find on the pixel 6a are the are similar to the loadout that you had on the on the pixel 5 whereas the pixel 6 and the pixel 6 pro move to a new camera system so really what they've done is they've kept an old camera system and they've flowed it through into this new model that we get now so it's not a sophisticated um, it's still very, very good. And a lot of what Google is doing in their cameras is based around computational photography anyway. So you have lower resolution in there. It won't do all of the same things, but it still takes good, consistent photos and is and a very strong performer when it comes to point and shoot photography. One of
0: the, um, the the features of the Google Pixel Six that they've really advertised very heavily, and I get asked most often from people actually when they're looking for a new phone, is Magic Eraser. Um, that's on this phone, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's included in this because because that really takes advantage of um, of Google's AI power, and it actually runs through the Google Photos app. So it's it's kind of separate from the the camera hardware itself, and. It's a very, very clever thing that can scan your photo and identify things that it thinks might be out of place. Like if you take a picture of a beach and there's a person on that beach in the background, it will highlight that person and give you the option to remove it with one tap. Now, on the Pixel 6a, they actually introduced a newer version of this, which is called Camouflage. And it uses the same sort of technology. It finds something that might be out of place. But then it gives you the option to tone it down rather than completely remove it. And this is really good for when you're t- you've taken a photo and there's something in front of you, like a-, a barrier or something like that, which is a bright color and distracting from the rest of the picture. And what what the phone will then do is say, this barrier looks out of place and again, highlight it. And then with one tap, it'll mute the colors so they're not such a distraction on your photo. So yeah, really, really clever technologies that they're rolling into it. Um how does it feel in the hand
0: i mean the thing about mid-range smartphones and certainly cheaper ones in, around this range they sometimes don't feel great they look they they do everything that everything else does but then they don't feel premium does this feel premium
2: yeah i there is a premium there's a premium feel to it and there's a premium look to it with the, with the two-tone back. I mean, in this case, it's it's a plastic back rather than being glass, but you really can't tell the difference. And the chances are that if you drop it, it's not going to break as easily. But you still have waterproofing on it. It's still a distinctive design. You know, the quality of the frame and everything else. Overall, y- you really wouldn't know the difference.
0: Um, Obviously, we're um, we're coming up to a time of the year where new phones will be coming out, and Google has its Pixel 7 range, the 7 and the 7 Pro. Um Would you therefore look at the 6a right now or would you hold on?
2: Well, that's a tricky one. There will be new technology in the Pixel 7 as far as we believe. There's going to be enhanced cameras, for example. We believe there's also going to be a more powerful chip inside it. The software experience, though, is probably going to be very, very close. So the thing to really consider is how much money you want to spend on a phone because the Pixel 6a does come in at that mid-range price, whereas the new ones are going to be flagship grade. So Pixel 6a is probably half the price and you probably get more than half the experience.
0: So you would recommend it to people in the the market for a phone now who possibly are trying to uh, pinch the pennies a bit more?
2: Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for a mid-range phone, it is very compelling because of the amount of power that it's got compared to some of its rivals at the same price, which are taking a step down to less powerful hardware. So yeah, the Pixel 6a really has a lot going for it. And that's it for this week's podcast.
0: Sadly, there won't be a Pocket Lint podcast next week as we're taking a small break, but we'll be back in a fortnight with more tech talk. For now, I've been Rick Henderson and please let us know what you think of this or previous episodes in the comments of your favourite podcast app or on Twitter. Tweet us at PocketLint with no hyphen. Have a good one and we'll be back soon.